Matt, Preston, you guys, let's get up here. We're going to talk about why is Noster. So, <laughs> you're going to have to what help me out here. You got me. You were in the moderator section. I was in the panelist section. <laughs> I didn't even... Somebody told me yesterday, like, Preston, you're, you're, you're on some panel tomorrow. I said, oh, am I? I didn't even realize that. Well, so let's, let's talk. Uh, the, where I'm looking at it is in the timeline standpoint, right? Like where, where we're at with Bitcoin is so different than where I think we're at with Noster. So how far to the left are we? Why is that important for development? And especially on the VC side, I know uh, you're with 10... 1031. I'm with um, Ego Death, and just like from our vantage point, when we're looking at this space, the thing that we really struggle with is like where are we at in that adoption curve? So I'm kind of curious your point of view on that one. You know, I think uh, Noster is incredibly powerful, and it really excites me. I, I think Magic said this the other day. Um, you know, I, I wasn't able to be around for the very, very early days of Bitcoin, but I'm going to be able to be around for the very early days of Noster, and that's incredibly cool, right? Just just the fact that, you know, this time and place uh, to just watch it all get built out is incredibly special, and people should really appreciate it. I think a lot of people in, like, the early days of Bitcoin probably didn't really appreciate it. Like, there's that famous post on Bitcoin Talk where the guy, like, posts in, like, 2010, and he's like, oh, I missed the bus. Like, I'm way too late here. Um, and I think it's just important for everyone to just take a deep breath and realize that we are incredibly early and we should be incredibly grateful that we get to be here at this moment. Um, with all that said, uh, if I'm going to put my investor hat on, uh, 1031 side, we are very active in the Nostra ecosystem in terms of, of being users and paying attention to everything that's being built. Um, but I think it's still very early in terms of investable opportunities. Uh, you know, we, we've had so many great conversations this week where we're arguing about where and debating, like, where does Noster go next? What is the killer apps? You know, how does that adoption trajectory look? And I think a lot of people don't know. So if you're deploying large amounts of capital into, you know, uh, into Noster startups, um, you're probably going to have a bad time. It's probably going to look like almost like that traditional fiat venture profile where most companies fail, never, never monetize. You got your thesis completely wrong. Um, so we're being very cautious in terms of that. And, and we have the advantage on the Bitcoin side that Bitcoin is so much more mature. So like uh, with all the carnage that happened in the VC landscape of the last two years with Sequoia getting wrecked and A16Z getting wrecked, like because we're Bitcoin only, it's just a it's a nice uh, filter that, you know, I'm not going to give us so much credit that the fact that, you know, we don't we don't have any companies that have failed through that whole process. We have no companies that rugged anybody through that whole process. Um, and part of that is just because of Bitcoin being more mature. With all that said, what I think is really powerful right now and the timing just worked out fucking perfectly because this was a project that we've been working on for three years that was that was meant to be Bitcoin focused is OpenSats. And the fact that we're able to just pour money into the open source ecosystem of Noster with no strings attached based purely on, on proof of work and and, you know, essentially like GitHub activity, like we're looking at Git activity and seeing, you know, what developers and open source contributors are actually passionate about this and building stuff. And we don't have to put a lens on, is it going to be possible to monetize this in the future or not? You know, here's a no strings attached grant. And I think at, at this point, like OpenSats, if you include the Bitcoin grants, 
We're at 70 plus grants that have been deployed in the last four months. And most of them are a longer term basis, which is really cool and very rare. You don't really see this in the open source ecosystem. So like uh, there'll, there'll be a grant for a year um, and we pay you out monthly in Bitcoin um, denominated in fiat. So you can actually like plan your life about around it a little bit. You have some, you know, quote unquote job security working in the open source Nostra ecosystem. Um, so I think that's incredibly powerful. I encourage people to donate to OpenSats. We're 100 percent pass through. Um, you can donate anonymously with Bitcoin. You can donate with dollars and get a tax credit. You can donate with Bitcoin and get a tax credit. Obviously, you have to give your personal information in that situation. Um, and all the money just goes 100% pass through to open source developers. And then if you are a developer working in the space, you should go to opensats.org slash apply and apply for a grant. Because I think like we didn't have that in early days of Bitcoin. And it really yeah, does yeah. supercharge everything. I think just because of where you're at in the timeline that anybody who's a builder needs to um, really kind of focus there uh, for funding and for like startup R&D type activities in, in this particular space just because we are that far to the left in the timeline. Because from a VC standpoint, I'm not saying that that it can't happen because there's definitely been some VC funds that have been, that have gone to various projects. But from, you know, if you lined up 100 Nostra projects or businesses that are trying to be started, I think that most are very uninvestable at this point just because of, of where we're at from a tech maturation, from an adoption curve of people coming in. It's very lumpy. It's very hard to, you know, to kind of project what that's actually going to turn into. At least that's my perspective. And it yeah, seems and like I, you kind of agree. Yeah, I 100% I agree. And, and from the founder's perspective, like... OpenSats is fucking awesome. Yeah. Like, I mean, you get you get essentially you're getting like startup funding uh, with without giving up any equity in your project, without any strings attached. Um, like, and and it's this cool incentive, right? Because we only support open source projects. So we've actually seen some startups that were attempting to do closed source and they were having trouble in the VC world uh, raising. And they were like, oh, you know, can I apply for an open SAS grant? I was like, oh, I looked at your license. You know, you, you got to change that license. And then sure enough, two weeks later, the license changes and a grant comes in. Yeah, I think uh, one thing nice that you get with this type of model against like VC, like sometimes when you pour VC money into, into an idea or business or whatever, um, it's almost a kiss of death because you, you're just flush with all this cash and you're going out and you're doing all these things that you wouldn't have to do if you were really in the grind and trying to make sure that there is a real marketplace, there are real users for whatever that thing is that they're building. And I think that it's really, uh, I think it's good that we're kind of at this point and that's the way a lot of it's getting funded because it's, it's forcing people to be very scrappy with what they're building and the people that they're trying to attract into whatever the product is. But I will say, like, it's something that I am watching. Um, so, like, first of all, with OpenSats, one of the things we did, which is very unique in the nonprofit world, is we have a nine-person board, and every grant needs to be approved by a majority of five of nine. And everyone told me we were fucking crazy doing that. It adds so much paperwork, it adds so much lift and all this friction and whatnot, and none of the board gets paid uh, because we're 100% pass-through. Um, but the reason we did that was because... Um, of, of the early days of the Bitcoin foundation and how corrupted it got. And I didn't want to be the single point of failure myself. 
Um, and I didn't want anyone that was part of OpenSats to be the single point of failure. So we're in a situation where, you know, you need you need essentially five of nine very respected Bitcoiners to get corrupted uh, in order for that that system to get corrupted. Um, but also what that means is is people feel more comfortable giving us larger amounts in terms of donations. We're deploying larger amounts. We're doing them over longer timetables. And I think a lot of the contributors, open source contributors that are getting grants are, are thinking about, am I going to get a renewal grant? Am I going to do this or not? And so it's still kind of early days in OpenSats, but the idea is that the board is like constantly reassessing these projects and deciding if someone's like not actually pulling their weight. They, they made certain commitments to us about what they were going to ship in their project. And six months later, we don't see it and, and they don't get a renewal or something like that. So, but my point is where I'm going with that is it's yet to be seen because these are some of these grants, we, we don't disclose the amount per project, um, which was something we went back and forth a little bit because we didn't want to dox the open source contributors. Some of these contributors are in, are in the developing world. Like if, if it's known that they're you know, receiving $5,000 that month, like it could be a serious security issue for them. But we're going to release transparency reports that like break it down by category and stuff without doxing them. But my point is, is there, uh, some of them are receiving a decent amount of money. And it does a little bit have the same negative VC effect where I don't have to be profitable right away um, because I'm just going to get the next check, right? And I, it's something that when I talk to open source contributors, I try and make very clear to them. I was like, your goal should still be to try and be sustainable without open sats. You know, and I say this to the startups in the Bitcoin space and and the few startups in the Nostra space that we funded is like, don't you should operate under the assumption that you're not going to receive another VC check or another Bitcoin payment from OpenSats and try and be sustainable as quick as possible. Uh, get your cash flow up, your sats flow up and like actually try and be a a profitable project early on. And some of these projects in, in Nostra like show a lot of promise with stuff like that, stuff like Zapstream. Like I pay them sats for a service on a constant basis. Um, and they, they received, an, they, you know, Snort received uh, an open sats grant and so did Zapstream. And like my hope is that Kieran can, you know, use that, use that runway, you know, use his year long runway, maybe if it gets renewed a two year runway or something, um, and then emerge on the opposite side where he's actually got an open source project that is monetized by sats and is, is sustainable and he doesn't need to rely on outside funding. So I don't know if necessarily like open sats fixes that yet, uh, but at least at the very least, it doesn't put like corrupted people on your cap table, which is an advantage. Yeah, yeah I love that. So uh, part of the, the challenge you get when you're exercising a model like this is setting up key milestones so that you can kind of track the progress for further capital allocation to the, to those individuals. So walk us through like how you guys think through establishing those milestones, what type of milestones sh should they be for people that are building in this space? And uh, I guess any other thoughts around just kind of like the administration of that and for people that are building, like how they should be thinking about what they're offering up to to receive grants for that. Yeah, so I mean, we're not a faceless organization. You can go to opensats.org and see our full board. Um, and and it's more of an art than a science, right? So like when an application comes into OpenSats, it goes to our private Git. It has the full application there, how much they are asking for, um, and all of their um, expectations in, in terms of what this will fund. Um, and then the board goes and, and we debate it 
transparently and get about whether or not you know we think it makes sense, what what concerns we have, uh, and then ultimately whether we act or knack the grant and and submit our vote um, to approve it. And so multiple times what we'll see is um, a grant will come in, maybe they ask for too much money, maybe there's not that many deliverables, and then we will communicate with them and be like, what did you mean by this? Can we get a little bit more detail on this? This is a little bit too much money. It's, it's outside of our grant amount. Um, and we'll have them send an updated application. So it's, it's a little bit more of, of an art than a science, but I will say that you know, more detail is better, right? Like the applications we've had the most issues with are the ones that are very vague and they're just like, give me money because I deserve it. And like, you're, you're not gonna get money if you do that. Love it. Um, when we were talking about this a little bit yesterday, is kind of as far as like what's going to drive incentives for people to come to Noster, and um, I think that there's, and I'm curious if you agree with this or you disagree with it. Um, I think that there's this tethered relationship to Bitcoin, in that as Bitcoin continues to take off, like on this next cycle, and I know I'm talking like priced in fiat, but that's how I think the, the rest of the world is going to be viewing this juggernaut that's, that they're kind of facing is if Bitcoin rips to 300,000 or whatever, and they're looking at the bond market in, in the, you know, the G7 countries melting down, this narrative of we're losing control is going to accelerate. And part of the, the reaction to we're losing control is we got to control the speech even more than we're already controlling it which is where Noster comes into it. So first of all, do you think that there's a, almost like a tethered relationship with Bitcoin success, the pace, the acceleration of Bitcoin success, driving the incentive structure for people to move away from Twitters and Facebooks and things like that to Noster? Or do you think that there's just a large enough incentive through the, through the carrot instead of the stick to drive people to Noster? Preston, have you read the mandibles yet? No, um, I, I just wanted, I, I didn't put two and two together last night when I heard about the 30 year treasury uh, auction failing, but in the mandibles, that's how it all starts. And they blame it on a glitch too. So it's, it's just fucking, anyway, mandibles, then Bitcoin standard. I think uh, if you don't- You just blew my mind, by the way. I haven't read this. <laughs> if you don't read it, like you're gonna, we're gonna live through it anyway. But I, 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 I think that uh, I think Bitcoin bootstraps Noster first, and we see that because the overwhelming majority of people are Bitcoiners, and then at some point, because most people are addicted to social media, and they're fine with their money, at least in the developed world. Like in America, I, the way I see freedom tech getting adopted is because of people realizing a need and seeking out a better alternative, and in America, for better or for worse, we have the best shitcoin. It will probably fail last as people flood into the dollar um, while their own fiat fails. Um, so we're in a relatively privileged position and, and a lot of Americans don't feel the need for a, a better money experience yet. Um, but I think a lot of Americans are already starting to feel the need for a better social media experience. Uh, it's less sticky. A lot of people use six or seven different social medias. Um, we saw like, you know, remember like Clubhouse, like the massive pump and dump of Clubhouse. People got really excited about it. They moved there really quickly. TikTok, you know, felt like it came out of almost nowhere and, and got real a lot of steam. So I think like right now, like the Bitcoiners are, first of all, if you look at the builders in the Nostra ecosystem, it's a ton of Bitcoiners. So the overwhelming majority are Bitcoiners. If you look at the users, the overwhelming majority are Bitcoiners. But at some point, 
And it's weird to think about because even like Noster's a way younger project. At some point in the adoption cycle of both projects, I think Noster overtakes Bitcoin in terms of growth rate, number of users, like number of overall users. And then there's a bunch of people that are going to use Noster and their first time ever interacting with Bitcoin is receiving his app. Um, And then all of a sudden Noster bootstraps Bitcoin. And I think that's what we're witnessing. And I think like we talked about the investable landscape earlier. Like I think most Bitcoin projects have a Noster strategy and most Noster projects will have a Bitcoin strategy and they'll be like heavily complementary with each other. But ultimately everything I look at in my thesis, the reason I'm so bullish on Bitcoin and the reason I'm so bullish on Noster is because I see that there is a need that most people do not realize the need for yet. And I expect when they do figure out that they have this need, that they will search for Bitcoin, they will search for Nostra, and they'll go. It might be a little bit more difficult and a little bit more friction than using, you know, a TikTok or 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 a PayPal or something like that. But but our goal as as people that are operating in this ecosystem and want to see Freedom Tech succeed is to try and make that friction as low as possible. Like maybe we can never. You know, break like if something requires personal responsibility, I'm pretty sure it'll always be more difficult than like a like a slavery alternative. But uh, if we can make it just like just a little bit more difficult, like just as as easy as possible, it will make that transition much cleaner. So we got a room of people that are actively involved in Noster, either in the development way or just the user base, uh, whatnot. What do you think is one of the most important things you're seeing right now in Bitcoin or Noster for them to kind of take away to to that's something that they can action or use as they're continuing to build in this space? You know, I think uh, the 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 biggest common denominator for people uh, that that people can do to in, to increase Noster adoption is is first of all, if you don't use social media at all, I completely respect it. Um, it's mostly toxic and bad for us and people are addicted to social media and you should consider using it less in general. Um, but if you are going to use social media and you are going to post a TikTok and you are going to post a Twitter and you are going to post Instagram, uh, post a Nostra more and give, give people engagement and repost them and respond to them and, 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 and be active there and, and, and care because th- that's ultimately is like, like what is the pull of if, of a social of a social platform or protocol, and the pull is 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 communicating with others, seeing information you want to see, and 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 feeling active. And like one of the things I see all the time, um, and we don't have this liberty because we're not a centralized social media platform. Is 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 it's a little bit unique to Noster that people like post to Noster and they're not sure if anyone can see what they're posted or not because they don't understand how like relays work. And I think that's part of the reason why like Good Morning culture happened. Because it's like we're checking in every day. It's like, does this thing still work? Like, good morning. It's like, you respond back, I zap you. Everything's still working. We're functional. And like, I was never like, I mean, besides doing good morning, stay humble, stack sats for like 270 days on Twitter, I was never really like a good morning person um, in terms of like the social media thing. But I think that's what happened. And I say, you know, keep doing the good morning posts. Keep responding to people's good morning posts. Show them that there's actually activity here and that there's something to pay attention to. Um, And then on the builder side, like, just scratch your itch and build all this crazy shit. Uh, Cause I don't think anyone really knows like what the other stuff, uh, like what, what is going to be like the first major killer app of other stuff. Um, so let's just throw everything at the wall, you know, do it all, do as much of it as possible, open source and apply to open grants and let's just build out in the open and, and see what sticks and what doesn't. 
I think I would probably tell builders that to just stay as lean as possible and to realize that you're in a marathon and you're not in a sprint. Uh, I'm curious if, Matt, you think that maybe this is going to happen on an – you said that you think that the growth rate's going to be uh, – surpass the growth rate of Bitcoin as far as like the, the pace of it. But as far as where that hockey stick bend occurs, do you think we're years out from that or do you think that we could be – Within two years of that, like I think it's a lot sooner than people realize. Um, there's a correlation here, or a uh, comparison here, with what Safe always says about Bitcoin and um, and gold. He's like, you know, the the worst thing that can happen to Bitcoin adoption is like, for some reason, governments wake up in the morning and they decide we're going to responsibly handle the money. We're not going to debase you. We're not going to surveil you. We're not going to track you. We're not going to censor you. Um, and in that situation, it's like, okay, well, like, why do I need Bitcoin? Like, I have this nice centrally controlled money um, that works really well. Um, but that will never fucking happen, right? And it's the same thing with Nostr. Like, if Elon, like, actually believes in freedom of speech and doesn't want to censor people and wants to build, like, the best social town hall in the world, um, then that would, you know... I think would greatly reduce Nostr adoption. Like people wouldn't go out of their way to use Nostr. If any, if Zuckerberg decided that he wanted to be like a bastion of free speech all of a sudden, but that will never happen. Um, and also on top of that, you have the situation that we see with someone like PayPal, once again, a comparison with Bitcoin, where it's like PayPal doesn't want to censor people. PayPal wants as many people using PayPal as possible. And if they weren't required by law, they would let you buy all the illegal things with PayPal, use it for anything you wanted to, but they're a single point of failure, so ultimately regulators go after them. And I think Elon's starting to learn this, and, and Dorsey's, you know, you could see it on his face whenever you talk to him about his years at Twitter. It's like if you are essentially in control of this stuff, like you will get pressured and you will have to make horrible decisions and you'll have to censor your users. And um, so I think that all just works in Noster's favor. And when I look at the trends, like it's like this is why people think I'm like a, a doomer a lot is but that's where I find the optimism because it, it would almost be worse if it if if there was still censorship, but it it was like you pull it off a little bit, you slow boil the frog, you know. But what I actually expect is I, I think it accelerates. I think, you know, we go into this election cycle. I mean, you go on Twitter right now, like it's like the most aggressive it's ever fucking been. Um, so I think censorship increases. I think attacks on speech increase. I think all of this stuff increases and it just pushes people to a better option. Shadow banning, you know, all this stuff like like people. I don't know about you guys, but like I I use Twitter for like 10 years as my only social media platform. I didn't use anything else. And there's a subconscious thing that like when I go and post on Noster and I like decide to link to something or whatever. Like, I don't have to think in my head, like, oh, does this, like, limit my reach or do I get shadow banned or something like that? And on Twitter, I didn't really give a shit. I would still post it, and I ultimately got shadow banned all the time was what happened. But, like, I think that just unlocks for people. And that, that's why I really like shit posting without limits. Because I think for most people, it's like, I just want to be able to post a meme and not get banned for it or or anything like that. And I think people will just come around and start to figure it out. And maybe it gets led by influencers first. Like, I think there's a, I fucking hate influencer culture, but I think there's this really strong, compelling argument for influencers to come to Nostra. Yeah. On this theme of uh, companies and builders remaining lean, so I was having a conversation with Dylan LeClaire this morning before I came up. Uh, the new OpenAI rollout that they had, I don't know how many people have saw the, the keynote that they just rolled out. So 
now you can create your own GPT. So um, Dylan LeClaire goes onto his open AI. He starts feeding it all the BitVM. For people not familiar with BitVM, it's basically uh, now, you, now Bitcoin's Turing complete. You can uh, basically code binary into the blocks with this new, uh, you know, this, the, I forget the guy's name that came up with this. Super Testnet? Yes. Say and Rob again. and Linus, right? Yes, yes, that's it. Um, so, but didn't it, Super come up with it first, and then Robin came in? Both. Okay, yeah, whatever. But long story short, so like, who part. here likes to code in binary, right? <laughs> exactly. So, like, it's it's extraordinarily difficult. There's a few people, you know, that that that's their expertise or whatnot. And Dylan LeClaire hasn't even had a class in in software engineering or anything, and he's there feeding all of the, the white papers and the information that's out there, interviews into this GPT model that, that he has named BitVM. And then he's having a just a really basic generic conversation with it, like help me write some binary that I can then write into a block and it's just banging out code. <laughs> now who knows, like, I mean, this is literally just in the last two days. So like when we're thinking about operating in a lean environment for Noster, like I'm sitting over there and I'm, I'm just thinking like, could we get a Will Kasserin or Fiat Jeff to like ingest or entrain a GPT on Noster that then all these builders can go and start interacting with this thing. And like, I know my first question would it be is like, what, what applications can I kind of build? And I know applications probably isn't the right terminology, but like, what can I build in this to take it beyond just social media that a large user base would, and you're going to start getting some like really in, incredible response. And then you, you're also going to be able to like work with it on developing whatever that is. And if you are a software engineer and somebody that has that expertise inherent to you, and you're able to interact with this thing that, that understands truly the essence of like some of these, these, these minds that have stood this thing up. Like, I don't know. I just think that you're, your efficiency isn't 10x. I think it's 100 or 1,000x. So I'm curious, like, your thoughts on that. How can people leverage that? Is this something that scares you? Is this something that you think is, is going to be leveraged in a positive way? So I actually uh, – OpenAI is a, you know, is a, is a very predatory brand name uh, because it's not open at all. It's, it should be called closed, closed, closed AI. AI. Yeah. Um, and they surveil and track you and they can censor you and they know your identity because they only accept fiat payments. Um, you know, maybe they'll improve that because you'll be able to accept WorldCoin payments at some point since it's Sam Altman run. Um, but I, I think, I think there's two pieces here. I think first of all, yes, these LLMs will, um, app stores, you're going to get app stores, whether it's open AI, well, they not, have like open source stores. LLMs. Right. And I, I think, I think they, they will accelerate, um, a lot of the the other stuff development, right? Um, it it just accelerates. It can accelerate open source development. We can have you know more projects out there, more pe and I think it is a way that people can learn as well because you're like you're like kind of learning while getting your hands dirty. But the in, the really interesting phenomenon, and it sounds so fucking buzzwordy, especially when I'm wearing like my VC hat on, um, is I think we're we're at the early days of this next stage of surveillance capitalism with the AI tools. Um, the, the, regardless of where you think AI is going, the number one thing that AI is really good at 
is sorting through, what LLMs are really good at is sorting through large data sets. And up until this point, what companies have been doing and governments have been doing is they've just been hoovering up all this data. And one of the things we saw with Snowden is they almost take too much data because they can't see through all the noise. And the LLMs are going to see right through that. And also, if you start to get really reliant on these closed, these closed source uh, LLM platforms, they're going to be harvesting all this information, all your, your everything you want to, everything you're thinking about, everything you're building, they're harvesting all this information. We just had yesterday this new super hyped thing out of VC world in Silicon Valley called the Humane Pin. Um, which is this idea of wearing this $700 closed source pin on your shirt that has a camera and a microphone and then connects to their closed source cloud to process it all through AI. And you just like press the button and it can look forward and tell you what it's seeing and or you can speak to it. And it's super dystopian in my opinion. Um, but where am I going with this? I'm going with this is, is I think there's a Noster AI and Bitcoin world and what Pablo's doing with DVMs is incredibly powerful and incredibly interesting to me. And so we're going to have, you know, it's the classic freedom tech thing again, right? It's like 99% of people are, are going to use dollars and, and fiat or whatever, but we have Bitcoin there as, as this freedom tech alternative. Uh, 90 plus percentage of people are going to be used centralized control social media, but we have Nostra as this alternative. And then, you know, 90 five plus people will be using closed source AI tools, but we have these open source AI tools available. And all of a sudden, when you mix that all together, the development on the on the open side can actually be way faster than on the closed side, because you can have a situation where um, you have like one AI uh, tool communicating with another AI tool through Noster, all the payments are done through Bitcoin, there's like machine to machine, you can have like five different AIs all layered on top of each other, all open in this open marketplace. And I think that's a trend that I'm really, really curious to watch um, and could be just very powerful for the end user. I've heard GPT-4 is 200 gig. What, like memory requirement? The, the whole, like if you, if you were able to download it locally, like it has been compressed down to 200 gig is what I've heard. Well, like one of the interesting things is this idea of using smaller models in yes. tandem yeah. with each other. So the individual requirements for each model aren't as big um, because like one of, yeah, like right now, if you want to self host uh, a, one of these LLMs, you know, it, it's the, the main bottleneck is, is Ram because you upload the whole model into Ram. So if you only have 16 gigs of Ram, you can't use one of the bigger models, but if you if you use a bunch of smaller models and they communicate through Noster and they're paid out in Bitcoin, you can stack them on top of each other. And then also there's just interesting models. So it's just really simple. You know, um, instead of going to OpenAI, there'll be I think there'll be centralized tools where, you know, you sign in with an NPUB or with an NSEC, you know, you sign in with a Noster private key, you pay with Bitcoin. Um, and they only have your personal information of what you have. And maybe it's even on its own VM, you know, maybe it's, it's still not self-hosted, but it's in your own little instance and it's not, you know, as, as fucked up. So there's going to be like all different paths along with all different trade-offs. And, uh, unfortunately the majority of people are going to use like the surveilled captured one. Like that is just consistent. We see that all the time. Um, but Freedom Tech provides a path for people that want to opt out. So AI on Noster. Paid with Bitcoin. Super buzzwords. <laughs> three buzzwords in a row. 
Thanks, Preston, for leading this on the fly. Yeah, yeah. <laughs>